as you can see, um, God is doing some big things around here with our life groups on Wednesday nights. If you haven't signed up for a life group, um, you will. Uh, I'm not worried about it. Um, if, if you're trying to dig in towards God, um, you'll, you'll end up signing up because you're going to hear more stories like you're going to hear at the end of our service today. Um, and you're going to understand what God wants for our lives is to do life together. And um, if you came today and you're kind of um, kicking the tires on God, you are in the right place. Um, sometimes you come to church, and especially if you're not a Christian or you're just kind of kicking the tires or you're faking it, we know, I know, it's okay. If you're listening online or you're here and you, people kind of just have drug you here or whatever, it, you're still in the right place, I promise. Um, this stuff that we're talking about over the next few weeks um, is really kind of the heart of what it means to, to follow God and what he wants for our lives. So I think what you'll do, even if you're not sure you believe all the stuff that we believe around here, you'll start to realize that there's truth in it, and that truth will lead you um, to what we think um, is the most important thing in your life, and that is God right in the heart. Um, so I'm excited about that. And before we get started today, I want to do what we do every week. Um, I think uh, often I need it because I've lost perspective with all the hard things or busy things going on in my life. I need a moment of quiet. Today I need it just to settle down because um, I am so excited about what God's doing and what he has to do with this sermon series. So if you get a chance, um, just right now, if you'd take this moment to, uh, to just stop, um, to take a deep breath, whatever you brought in, all the good stuff, there's grandbabies born, there's great-grandbabies born, um, there is... There is new Christian born today. There's all kinds of things going on in the room. And if today we can have a moment just to say, whew, there's a lot happening, good and bad, um, and kind of put things in perspective, um, it'll go a long way for you to hear what God wants to say to you today. So let's just take a minute, be quiet, and then I'll close us in prayer and we'll jump right in today. God, it feels good to be with people who are just trying to figure out what you want next. God, in this week, we, most of us in this room, have made life mostly revolve around us. And when we do that, we lose perspective on what's most important and on what things matter most. And it, it kind of leads us to this anxiety and this frustration and this even desperation would you give us perspective on that right now? That there's something bigger going on. That the things that go on in our lives don't happen by accident. God, would you, right now, would you do, perform another miracle in this building today? As much as we'd like to see somebody healed or we'd like to see fishes and loaves turn into a feast, we don't need that today from you, although we'd take it. What we'd like today, God, is for you to show up in this place in individual hearts in a way that would put a new spark in our life, one that lasts, one that moves us to the kind of people we want to be. Would you lead us to that today? In your son's name, amen. Those of you who know me know I just uh, took on a big endeavor in my life. I... Um, have decided to buy my mom and dad's house, which is a log cabin on 40 acres of land. And before you go, ooh, that sounds nice, 
Um, there's some nice things about it, and for one thing, it doesn't have HVAC. Um, it doesn't have uh, a lot of the amenities that I'm used to. Um, and if you sit pretty much any place in the house, you can look in specific places and see daylight right through the logs in the log cabin. Um, there's a lot to do. It is one of the most beautiful places in my life, and I absolutely love it, but it is going to be constant work for the rest of my life. And I signed up for that, and I'm really excited about it. We're going to, uh, mom and dad are building on the property, so we're doing a little Walton's Mountain thing with John Boy included. I'm sorry if you're too young to, uh, to get that joke. Um, but uh, so I, I'm, I'm just spending a lot of time outdoors, and I'm spending a lot of time with, um, with heavy equipment, or at least for me, heavy equipment. Um, and that's not been something that I've been really good at in my life, and I'm trying to learn small engines and repairs, and if you know me very well, you know that's a stretch. Um, but I've been spending a lot of time with a chainsaw in the last year. Didn't cut enough wood at the beginning of the year, and we heat with wood. Um, so I ended up out in the snow cutting wood and literally like with snow-covered wood being jammed into my fireplace, into my stove to warm up the house. Um, and I did a lot, a lot this winter, and I, I've been struggling with the chainsaw. I'm just... I'm learning about it. I'm getting online. I'm trying to. It sounds really silly to those of you guys. I, a lot of smart guys around here and girls who know small engine repair. It's just not me. And so the chainsaw has been a real battle for me. And if I go out with this chainsaw, and last weekend it was really nice outside, and I just need about a rick of wood to get me through the spring, and I'll be good. So I went out and said, I'm going to cut a rick on this Saturday. And I was feeling manly. I put in my, my man boots, um, and, I, and I, I, I put in on my gloves, and my couple of the, the gloves have holes in them, so it kind of feels like I work hard. Um, I think I just snagged it on something. Um, but uh, I, I was feeling like a man, and I went out with this, this chainsaw. And there's, if you've never actually started a chainsaw, man, there's nothing that makes you feel more like a man than starting a chainsaw. But there's nothing that makes you feel more like a wimpy man than not being able to start the chainsaw. Um, and my whole family, it was so nice last weekend, I decided I'm going to I, you know, I want my family to experience this, and mostly I want my, <clears throat> my wife to see how studly I am. That's really my motivation for this. So I gathered my family around, decided to, to kind of impress them with the start of this big farm boss steel chainsaw, you know. A big chainsaw sounds really impressive, and choked it, reep, nothing, reep, nothing, 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 to the point where I got nothing. You know how that happens with a big chainsaw. You just... I mean, big, strong guys, I mean, 10, 12 pulls, and you're starting to get tired. For me, a pull and a half, and I'm shot, you know? So I told my family, all right, everybody go mind your business, and let's try this again a little bit. So I went, and I did all the things I knew to do for this chainsaw. I cleaned the filter. I poured all the gas out because the gas had been sitting for a while. I thought maybe it had some bad gas in it. Put in new gas, put in new bar oil pretty much that's it because that's all I know, right? So I did all of that stuff, and I called the family back. And now I'm getting mad and embarrassed. And my son, who's eight years old, is starting to th- say things like, Dad, is it on? <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll make you mad really, really quick. And, and the, the more I pull, you've been here, the more I pull, the tireder I get and the madder I get, and I start making, I mean, I didn't cuss, but where I spit, grass will never grow again. I can promise you that. And I start getting those mad man noises, you know, like, I'm pulling, I'm pulling, I'm pulling. And the more I pull, I see my wife start to take the kids and move back. And next thing I know, I turn around to tell them, well, I can't get it started, and they're gone. You know, like, they knew it was time. And it was just a fight between me and a machine. So I took it into the chainsaw repair place, which I don't belong in wearing a vest. I can tell you that. These guys are 
manly men. I aspire to be like this, but I, I'm, I'm not there. And I, can w- I walked in there carrying my, my chainsaw case like it wasn't heavy, trying to, you know. Laid it up on the counter, and I said, something is really wrong with this chainsaw. And you know, here's what the guy said to me. No, it's not. If you weren't so big, I would speak angrily to you. That's what I thought. (laughs) And I said, yeah, I I can't get it started. And he said, well, that's because you you don't know what's wrong, but there's nothing really seriously wrong. You just don't know what's wrong. And I thought, what a smart aleck this guy is. So he opens up the case, and he pulls the chainsaw out, and he says, you checked the air filter? And I went, yes. He said, it's got bad gas in it? And I said, no. He said, have you, uh, have you put bar oil in it? Is it all fresh? Yes. He said, and you've checked the spark plug, right? <laughs> and here's what I said that made me look really stupid. Chainsaws have spark plugs? <laughs> Yes, yes, chainsaws have spark plugs, and this one had never been changed. He took a little tool, unscrewed the spark plug, which now I know where it is, put in a new spark plug, ying, 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 perfect every time. And the problem with my saw was that I had checked everything. I had done everything, but what was missing, even though the gas was there and the oil was there, I had everything I needed to run my chainsaw except a spark, Ex- except the energy to make it actually go. Now, you know, if you've been around here long enough, you know where I'm going with this today, right? That so many of us, and you'll see Christian people like this all over the place, but all over the world there are people who sit ready like a chainsaw without a spark plug. They've got everything running, everything seems okay, but they're missing that one thing that will propel them to peace, to hope, to joy. You, you sit right here today, and I can see it on your face. There are some of you who sit today and go, I'm missing the spark. I want you to know that God built you more complicated than a chainsaw. But in a lot of ways, he built you so that you would have the things that you need except for the most important thing. The most important thing you need is this faith in God. It's the spark that moves you forward in your life. Now, you might say, yeah, but I don't even, I'm not even religious. Yeah, but this is the way God built you. Yeah, but I'm not even sure there is a God. That's okay. He believes in you. <laughs> yeah, but my, my body, do, my life doesn't have a spark plug. Oh, yes, it does. And if you aren't engaging in trying to figure out who God is on a regular basis, you will be missing the spark that makes you run the way you were intended to run towards peace and hope and joy. Now, there are Christians who just heard this and just had an epiphany. There's some of us in this room who have been following Jesus, who have been trying to do the church religious thing for so long. We come into a church like this and we sit and nothing happens because we think it's the song service or we think it's the sermon that that gives us the spark we need. And though it may get us through the day, it doesn't, certainly does not get us through the week. And there ain't a chance it's going to get us through our year. And the truth is, what God wanted from you from the beginning is not a church service. The spark you're missing is not a good song. The spark plug in your life is not a sermon. It's not even life groups. The spark, the spark in your life is a growing faith in your Creator. 
that he is who he says he is and he will do who, what he says he will do. And when you start moving towards that, not that you fully believe it. See, the spark isn't per, per, perfectly formed faith. The spark is trying harder. The spark is moving forward in your faith every day. That's what pushes the energy towards peace and hope and joy in your life. The spark you've been missing is faith. It's a growing faith. And now, if that uh, strikes you as sort of trite, um, just keep coming back over the next few weeks. We're going to unpack that. We're going to figure out what that really means. But it starts with this. Four words today that if you, if you haven't missed, uh, or if you've missed everything I've said so far, if you were messing with something or you kind of zoned out for a minute, zone back in for a minute because this statement alone will make you mad and it will change your life at the same time. And I, I, I'm so sure of the second one that I don't even care about the first one. Four words that will change your life, and it's this. It's not about you. I cheated. It's is a contraction, but it's four. It's not about you. What's not about you? It, the world, the thing, history. And I know that you didn't come to church today looking for, for that kind of a word. Because what you would like is, you know what, God is so concerned with your problems and your life right now that everything else is on hold until you get right. But the truth is, what God is most concerned about in you is a growing faith that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. And one of the things I love about this sermon series and one of the things I love about the direction of our church here at New Life is that we are growing in faith. And as we grow in faith, we start to understand that life and that church and that work and that faith and all the things that we do, money is not about us. And if you internalize that for a minute, if you actually take that towards its implications, now if you just say that, it just becomes religious, it doesn't mean anything, but if you start to make your decisions like that, if you start to teach your kids, you know one of the worst things you can do for your kids? If, you've got parent, if you're parents and you've got kids at home right now, especially young kids, um, you need to listen for a second because this will change your life. And more importantly, your kid's life in this case. If you are teaching your children that the whole world revolves around them, <laughs> you're doing them a big disservice. If you're starting to give your kids the impression that everything is put on hold when they get ill at home, that mom's going to stay home from work, that somehow dad's going to be, uh, we're going to have to change everything around your basketball schedule and your volleyball and your thing and your thing and your thing and everything revolves around you. You have raised a child who, when they become an adult, is going to be shocked to find out that nobody cares what you're doing on Wednesday night at 6 p.m. That the world doesn't stop when you skin your knee. Some of the best parents are the ones who lovingly start to make their children understand that there is something bigger outside of them. If you grew up feeling like that you were the center of the universe, that might be the most important thing you get from this, ser- this sermon series. Is that as much as God is desperately in love with you and pursuing you at every corner in your life, He also has a big plan that includes much more than who you're going to marry. Much more than what house you choose and what job you choose. All of those things are important in a bigger scheme of things. But as soon as you can start to understand that, it grows a different kind of faith in you. And God's number one priority in you has been and will always be not where you live. Not how much money you've got in your 401k. Not how many grandkids you have. Not how many children you put through college. 
Not how much your house is worth. Your number one priority to God, the creator of the universe and the guy who's actually in charge, you should care about this because this is his top priority and God gets what God wants. His number one priority is that your faith grows. What, he wants me to have some perfect faith? Nope. Just got to be better tomorrow than it was today. How do do you get to that? We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks, but I can promise you this. When it comes to your faith, God is looking down at you just saying, just try me. Just try me. You don't have to be a certain kind of person. You don't have to live a certain kind of way. We've got people in this church right now that we are asking to serve, and their response breaks my heart. We're asking, would you help with children's ministry? And they'll say something like, my life has been so bad. I've made so many bad decisions. I'm not worthy of serving. I don't know if that's an excuse (laughs) or if it's real. But in the deepest part of who we are, God wants us to give our lives away because it's not about us, and it helps us grow our faith. I want to tell you a story today. Um, this is an absolutely amazing story. Two stories back to back, actually, that, that you may not know we're actually together. One of the problems we have in church is that when we teach our kids or when we even our adults, when we, when we preach, we take little segments of the Bible. I can't preach you the whole Bible on a Sunday, although it may feel like I am at times. Um, I can't preach you the whole Bible, so I'll just take a, 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 a one story out and preach about it. And then the next week, I preach another one, and it feels like they're disconnected. So this week, I want to tell you two stories from the Bible. You've probably heard both of them, especially if you've been around church. What you may not have known is how close together they were in terms of time and that they are really, really related. What we're going to hear is a story from a man named Matthew who was an eyewitness to everything we see here. All the story you're about to hear is something he witnessed himself. This is not a hand-down, hand-down story. And there's a couple things I want you to notice for, okay? I remember when I was in English class in high school, my English teacher would give us a book that I wouldn't read, um, and then she would say, now, when you read this book, I want you to notice some things. I want you to be paying attention to some things. So today, I want you to be a better student than I was, and actually pay attention to a couple things in this story. For one, this story, if you listen to it clearly and you read it very carefully, which I'm going to do today, this will build your faith in God and in the Bible. It really will. Because you're going to see a man tell a couple of stories from his perspective that if he was making up these stories, I know because when I was a kid, I was a really good liar. My parents helped me get through that part of my life, and now I'm realizing my son has that tendency, and I've got to kind of, you know, just starts with exaggeration, which is just another excuse for a lie, and then it grows and grows and grows. And if I was going to write as a good liar, and all this was just a pretend story, I would make myself look really good. I would make myself and maybe even my buddies, I'd make them look bad and I'd make me look good. But this, I want you to look for times in this where you can realize this has to be a true story because if it was fake, you would write it totally different. Matthew starts with this way. He says, when Jesus had heard what had happened, and whenever you see a sentence like that, just don't ignore it, go back. Here's what had happened. John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, um, was spending time with a man named Herod who was in charge of a whole kingdom. And he would, um, it, John the Baptist would go to Herod and he'd say, you're having an affair. What you have is not good in the eyes of God, and you're having an affair. You kind of make Herod uh, a sermon illustration all the time. And Herod kept warning him, if you, if you don't stop telling me that, I, I'm going to kill you. And he would throw him in prison, and then he would let him out. And as soon as he let him out, John the Baptist would go right back up to him and say, you can't be a leader for God in this country if you're going to continue to live in sin like that. He would throw him back in the dungeon again. And finally, Herod got so mad, and he got drunk. And his, his wife wanted John the Baptist killed, or his mistress. Um, and then they basically, he, he ended up killing John the Baptist, beheading him. 
put his head on a silver platter. And Jesus just heard about that. And he's mourning the loss of one of the beginning movers of their faith and also his family member, his cousin. And so that's what Jesus had just heard. He heard what, is, what had happened, and he withdrew by boat. So people followed Jesus by this time everywhere he went. And he was usually around a body of water, which is cool. I, I, I bought this cabin out in the middle of nowhere, and we used to have, um, we used to have a pond there. One of my biggest dreams is to see that pond come back. It drained, and we're going to try to fix that up. But I love being around the water, and I think Jesus did too, for a few reasons. I think it was a getaway from him, but it was also a good opportunity. If you've ever been on the water in a boat, and you've, you've said something on the water, you can hear the, what you say. The sound waves bounce off of the water, and people around can hear. So be careful. <laughs> you start making, somebody, making fun of somebody on a jet ski, and they can hear you from a long way away. It's kind of crazy. Um, but Jesus knew that too, so he would get out on a boat, and he would go out on the shore, and he would speak to the people who were gathered on the shore. It was like a microphone. It was really cool. And then there were times where he just wanted to be on the water and be by himself. He just heard about his cousin dying, and so that's what he's doing. He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place, some kind of a little fort, <laughs> place that he built, something where he could go just to be by himself. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to get away if you're Jesus? I mean, he is the, the center of attention. People followed him everywhere he went, on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, so Jesus is out on the water, and there's a big crowd forming on the bank, and he goes towards them. When he landed and he saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. I missed that. He had compassion on them, and he began to heal their sick. So he just began, all the broken people, all the hurting people, he just began to put hands on them, and he began to go to them and pray, and their, their sick would be healed. And every time somebody would bring to him someone who was sick and he would heal them, it would like boost the faith, and then other people would come, and it just grew this big crowd. So Jesus healed their sick. As evening approached, starting to get dark, the disciples, the guys who were kind of running the show behind the scenes, they came to Jesus and they said this, this is a remote place, it's far from town. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, if you want my opinion, the disciples are getting tired and hungry, and they want to break, and they want to eat. And they want to push the crowds away. And Jesus says this. Jesus replied. Oh, back one there. Sorry, Tanya. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. And the disciples go, oh, it's going to be a marathon. Oh, where are they going to eat? What are we going to do about food? And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, you give them something to eat. Wow. Now we got somewhere in the neighborhood of five to 10,000 people on the beach around Jesus at this point. We know that because Matthew tells us here in a little bit. Five to 10,000 people following Jesus on the beach. The disciples don't even know they may have enough food for them. You're going to hear how much food they have in a minute. They have a little bit of food, but the, the question is, Jesus, they turn around. You want me? You want us, these 12 guys? You want us to feed the masses? And that's where Jesus stops. Next slide, Tanya. And that's where you relate to these guys if you think about it for a second. There is a tension in your life right now, unless you have completely pushed it away, which some of you have. There is a tension that God intends for your life to have for the rest of your life. You don't ever retire from this tension. You don't ever come to a place where God says, okay, that's enough. There is a tension that will always be in your life where you look at somebody 
else who has something that you have and say, I need to help them. I have something to give. In fact, let, let me just say this right now. If you don't feel that tension in your life, there's something wrong with your heart. You're suppressing it because God continues to nudge humans towards looking at people who are far from God often. Looking at people who need something. And in your heart, something needs to rise up to say, I need to do something. Now, you know how we suppress it? We make up excuses. Somebody holding a cardboard sign, what do we say? Should just go get a job. Somebody begging outside of a Walmart. I'm not giving him a dollar. Probably go spend it on booze. I've heard it. Now, I'm not saying you should give him a dollar, but what I'm saying is when your attitude about somebody in need shifts to that, it's, your, it's this little tension that in your body you're starting to suppress. You're starting to kill that tension in your body. You're starting to, to be okay with people in need walking around you. And I want to tell you right now, don't let that happen to you. It changes you for the worse. You know how many Christians I know right this minute who have made this excuse for so long that they have this thick candy shell on them. Like you know something soft in there, but if you go in and you talk to this person, they immediately start getting angry. They want to talk to you about politics, and they want to talk to you about laws, and they want to talk to you about people taking things from me, and I earned it, and I deserve it, and they didn't, and I don't, and they get gritty in their teeth, and they get mad. This is a person who has suppressed that tension for so long that they have now rejected that from God. This tension comes from God, and if you reject it, you're rejecting God. Now, what I'm, when I say that, I don't mean you're, you have to do something about every need you see. What I'm saying is don't suppress it. There's something in us, just like the disciples. Jesus wanted them to hear right now. This is your problem, guys. These hungry people, these, compa- these, these broken people who are desperate for something, this, they are your problem. And in the disciples wells up this tension. What should I do? Man, I resonate with this so much. When I first started here at New Life, I was a preacher who had been in churches where there were no drugs. The worst thing that would happen is every now and then, a kid might say, you know, something about a rated R movie he had seen in a junior high class, and the elders would have to meet and talk about what to do about the parents because they were so far from, from any kind of a world that that uh, that they were living in it was just it was a long way away and i there was really it was just religion and people weren't really trying to get closer to god they were just trying to look closer to god and it was and i spent a lot of time in churches like that and then i came to new life and i walked in and people started telling me about their drug problems like right here in the church people started telling me about the issues that they'd had really openly and i came to a point where i i felt like the disciples like god i see the need what am I supposed to do? Like, how do you help a group of people that are broken? How do you help a group of people that are so desperate that they'll just flat out admit right here in, in an orange pew, I have a drug problem, or I have a marriage problem. And it, it welled up something in me that I had been desperate for my whole life. I wanted it really bad, and I wanted to be a part of it, and then the other side of me had no idea what to do with it. 
And at the time, I told my wife, I got to quit. I'm, I'm not the guy. It's too hard for me. And I kept going, and I kept, she kept kind of pushing me back, and the elders kept helping me. And I would come, and Dean and Andy could tell you, I would come, and I would sit up in one of those rooms with them, and I'd say, guys, I can't do this. I can't get my sermons ready. I, I'm, I got travel to do. My bills are so bad, and they're piling up. I can't financially afford it. I can't do this anymore. And the, these men of faith in this place went, you just do what God wants you to do, but we'll take whatever you have. And they just kept praying, and I just kept praying. And I came to a place where I think the disciples have been. They look and they, they see their ineptitude. How am I supposed to do this? And now look what happens next. Next slide. They, they start to make excuses. We, Jesus, we, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Now the fish, I've been where they were, where they were physically, they were around the Sea of Galilee probably, and um, this fish right here is the tilapia. Um, if you go right now to Applebee's or to O'Charlie's, you can buy a tilapia. Um, it's probably been in the freezer for a long time. They kind of microwave it and it starts to taste mushy. But if you have one right there on the shores, oh, I mean, they serve it with the head on it and everything, and I, I, oh, it's so good. And I've eaten, they call it Peter's Shore Lunch, and it's a tilapia right there next to the Sea of Galilee. So this is probably what they had. They had five loaves of bread, and, and it would have, don't think about like the big loaves that you get at Kroger, you know. This is like loaves that you made in your oven and it kind of the yeast didn't quite work and it's been smashed in one of the disciples bags you know it, this is not pretty five loaves and two ugly tattered fish which they hadn't caught recently so they got to be kind of iffy by now you know and they hand this to jesus kind of like the day that i went home and stood in the cabin and said i can't preach at this place in paradise they need something i can't provide i don't have the time i don't have the energy all i have there are these two ugly fish and five gross smashed pieces of bread. How am I going to help? Jesus says this. Whatever you have, this makes me emotional. I don't, I don't care what you have. Bring it to me. Whatever you don't have, bring it here. Jesus, I, 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 God, I, I know that this little, this little girl standing outside of the grocery store needs something. I don't have enough to pay my own bills. What am I going to do? Jesus says, just bring me what you have and be ready to say yes. Bring me what you have and be ready to say yes. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. He told all these people, Hey, watch this. <laughs> this is what Jesus does. Hey, guys, what? you're not going to believe what you're going to see. Everybody sit down. Watch this. Take a seat. And he directed the people to sit down in the grass. Taking the five loaves, smashed and gross, and the two iffy-looking little fish, he looked up to heaven. He gave thanks, and he broke the loaves open. And then he started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples have now broken little pieces of bread and ugly fish. And they turn around to 7,500 7, people, maybe 10,000 people total. <laughs> they look down in their hands, and here's what they do. All right. And start handing fish and bread. Now, if you've heard this story in church, you probably have Disneyized it. 
But this is an eyewitness account. This is somebody who was there, stood on the beach, and watched it. As this bread and this fish were passed out, it was like people started eating, and they just kept eating. It's like, well, how, you could probably hear the disciples say to each other, how far is this bread going to go? I don't know, maybe four more people before somebody goes, hey, I didn't get any. Like, well, it went through that side. That's weird. What people must not eat very much. And then you see a guy start burping. <laughs> uh, I don't need any more. Like, what? And then the next side, the bread and the fish go all the way through the next side. And the disciples start going, did somebody else bring something? Hey, Jesus, did somebody else bring some fish or something? Because people seem to be full and nobody's even getting sick on that iffy fish. I mean, what's going on? And Jesus says, just watch. Next slide, Tanya. See, your job, like the disciples that day, my job, is always to do whatever you can do with whatever you have. And then trust God to do what only He can do. You know, we've been asking in this place for a long time for childcare, nursery stuff during Sundays. I promise you today, this sermon series is not about trying to get more volunteers in this church. Because what I believe about faith, this is just the first story in a two-part series for Jesus about faith of his disciples. What I believe is when you engage and bring whatever you can bring, God fills in the rest and your faith sparks. And it sparks your life. You know in this church we have one person right now that takes care of our nursery. 175 people in this building in the last few weeks. One person who has said, nursery, dirty diapers, yes. She's up there now, and she doesn't hear my sermons almost every week. I get a note from her on Tuesday if I haven't uploaded it to listen to online. One person. Did you know that every week, Risha, back here in children's ministry with all these kids, every week she wonders whether or not we'll have enough help. And the few that are helping are tired. You know that I'm not naming names today because it embarrasses people, and that's not what we're about, but we just have a couple people that take care of this building. Every time the lawn needs to be mowed, every time the rocks need to be moved, every time a light bulb needs to be changed, just a few people. And it's because we look at these things and we think somebody else will do it. We make an excuse, we stop. And more than that, often many of us go, what can I do? Here's what happened with the disciples, Matthew chapter 14. They all ate. Wait a minute, all ate? What do you mean, John? You mean the disciples all ate? No. They all ate 7,500 people on two ugly fish and five smashed loaves of bread. They all ate. Oh, you mean they got a little piece? No, they were burping it up. They were like Chinese buffet full. And the disciples picked up basketfuls of sweet and sour chicken remnants. <laughs> basketfuls of things that were left over because, listen to this now, wake up. When you come to God, when you see a need that needs to be met, you come to God and go, I got nothing but this. He goes, yes, not only will I take that and make it worth it, I will take that, make it work, and there'll be leftovers. There'll be so many people trying to get into children's ministry to serve back here that Risha's going to have to say, I'm sorry, we have more adults than we have kids. 
Not just because you don't want to hear John's sermon this week. There's a moment, a spark that happens. When you look at, you look at something, a, a service opportunity, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the Walmart parking lot, whether it's in a cubicle at work, when you look at that and say, I'm too old, I'm too dumb, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough resources, I'm too tired, whatever it is, and you go, but, I'll give you what I got, God, and then I'll say yes to what comes next. Not only does God meet your needs, not only does he meet the needs of the people, but he gives leftovers, and here's what those leftovers look like in life. I'm speaking from experience and I'm speaking from scripture right now. Those leftovers, those things that happen when the miracle is over, when God has taken your little bit of stuff, added his miracle to it, the leftovers are the energy you need for peace, hope, and joy in your life. If you're not experiencing those leftovers, you haven't engaged God this way. This is a faith issue. Do we need more people in the nursery? Yes. Do we need more people in kids' life? Yes. Do we need people to clean the floors and mow the grass? Yes. That's not why I'm preaching, and that's not why you need to listen. Why you need to listen today is if you haven't engaged in something that you couldn't do by yourself, you haven't pushed your faith the way God wants you to. I have a friend this week. I'm not naming any names. wish I could, but I shouldn't. I have a friend this week who wasn't really excited about what I asked her to do. I could tell. I just love her, but she wasn't excited, but I asked her to do it. Her initial reaction was, I, okay. And I could see in her mind it was, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources, I don't have the stuff, but I'll give God what I have and let him do the rest. And today, you're going to see the fruits of that. Life was changed. person accepted Jesus because of it. And I believe this happens every day time every time you look into the face of a need that god has moved you towards and you can say i here's what i have and i'll do what i need to do next the number of those who ate that day was about five thousand men which i don't think they just said that because men were the most important i think they said that because five thousand men they're the biggest guys and they're the hungriest guys and they're the guys that shut down the chinese buffet you know they're these are the big guys five thousand men ate and then the women and children ate too and everybody got full and there was leftovers the number of those who ate was about five thousand men besides women and children immediately now here's where i want to jump in because that's the that that is faith 101 this is jesus looking at his disciples and saying listen to me guys look at me guys Disciples, look at me. Look up here. If you have some, a need that you see and you don't have what it takes to meet it, but you trust me to fill in the gaps where you can't serve, where you don't have what you need, this is what happens. And the guys go, okay, I got it. Lesson learned. Faith 101. And then look what happens next. This is faith uh, 201. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. So this is right after the miracle. The disciples are going, did you see? And they're walking into the boat going, I don't know where Jesus wants me to go now, but I'm going. I can tell you that. They get into the boat. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. So he pushes them out to shore, which would always make me nervous if I was a disciple. That Jesus says, let's go guys. And then he pushes them out and he walks away. Like what's about to happen to us? Well, you know, the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. I wonder what that looks like. Dismissing a crowd you just fed with a miracle. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. 
And later that night, while he was up there alone, so Jesus is up alone, and it gets, it gets dark. It starts getting dark out into this lake. And the boat, was, while the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, it was way out there, it was buffeted by the waves, and the wind was against it. So the way Matthew writes here, if you've ever rowed a boat, um, there, kids, for those of you who don't know, there didn't always used to be motors. You had to actually use oars. And I remember my dad taking his handkerchief and ripping it in half and putting it in the, lower, uh, the oar locks there so it didn't spook the fish when he would... You know, and I, some of my best memories are my dad rowing our fishing boat. And these guys would row, and this was something they were good at. This was something they could do, is to row across the lake. But the wind had buffeted, and Matthew's thing here is that they were rowing, and it was like a rowing machine. They weren't going anywhere. The wind was just pushing them, and they were rowing, and they were rowing, and they were exhausted, and these guys were rowing, trying to get across this lake, and they're stuck. And the wind is getting bigger, and the waves are crashing. Next slide. Shortly before dawn... So first they had witnessed a miracle, they're exhausted, they've been rowing all night, and just before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Bible guy or girl, this is where you shut me off, I know. Walking on the lake, yes. Suspend it for a minute. Walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake... Now, if, if you were making this story up, if this wasn't a real story and you were just making it up, what you would probably say is, when the, when, when the disciples, when the, when the other guys saw Jesus walking on the lake, they were scared. But me, Matthew, I was like, go Jesus, 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 you know? That's not the way he tells the story. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the lake, they were terrified. And past that, they thought he was a ghost. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. And Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then Peter has an epiphany. And this is why I wanted to tell you these stories, how they really happened. Right back to back. Less than 24 hours ago, they had had a faith lesson 101. Where Jesus said, if you just trust me, you could do things you would never realize you were capable of and it would spark in you a faith that would change the way you think and live and act and are and now he says time for part two and peter realizes this he's the only one in the boat that has an epiphany he goes well i remember lesson one so he says lord if it's you peter replied tell me to come to you on the water the next thing peter realizes is I'm not just going to make up something to do here. This is, I need Jesus to invite me to this. I need to know that this is a God thing. So he needs Jesus' invitation. And here's what Jesus says. Uh, he looks at Peter and he goes, yes, Peter got it. And he says, Peter, come. Come to me. So can you imagine being one of those disciples? You've been paddling all night. And all of a sudden, Peter's climbing out into the waves in the middle of the, dead, or the, middle of the Sea of Galilee, just getting ready to go right, walk to Jesus. You're thinking, man, dude, you are a mess. What are you doing? Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on the water toward Jesus. He walked. And he had that moment, I know he did, where when he stood over the side of the boat, where he remembered lesson one-on-one about faith, that spark that makes you do things, that allows you to do things that only God could do. And then he saw the wind, and he was afraid, and he began to sink. And you can hear Jesus going, you almost made it, come on, you can, 
You know, like you do with your kids. You almost walked over here the first time they walk. You almost made it. And then you kind of step forward and you grab them, you know, just before they're about to fall. And then you pick them up and you celebrate. Yeah, you know. And Jesus pulls him up. And, and the way this has been preached, I just don't think this is, who Jesus, this is what Jesus was doing at that time. Jesus does not admonish Peter. He does not look at Peter and go, you didn't have enough faith. That's not what this is about, because there's a whole group of guys in the boat. If Jesus wanted to yell at somebody, he could have yelled at the guys in the boat who didn't even get out of the boat, didn't even ask about the water. And Jesus immediately reached out his hands, and he caught him, and he said, your faith was so good, you have little faith. You did good for a minute, but why did you doubt that I can do things with the little bit that you have? that are a miracle. When they climb back into the boat, listen to this, I just put this in here because I think it's a funny thing. They climb back in the boat after he'd seen, they'd seen Jesus feed 7,500 people and then walk on water and Peter got to do it too and they'd, all this stuff. After he climbed into the boat, the wind died down. It's like, whew, even the wind went, holy cow, what just happened? And those who were in the boat worshipped him. Yeah? Yeah. And they said, truly, you are the Son of God. It's time for you. Now, I'm going to speak to those of you for a minute who are over the age of too old to serve. Okay? Where you've said, hey, I put in my dues. Where you've said, I've seen God do whatever God's going to do. That what he wants from you is the next spark. The next time where you see a need and can go, I don't have everything I need to do that. And God goes, duh. Because it's not about what you're getting ready to do. It's not about just doing it. It's about you seeing that I partner with you. That's what this is about. It's time for you to experience God in a brand new way. What if you started praying that God would nudge you out of your boat? problem is we all sit here right now, right? We all sit here in our comfort of our boat. Maybe you see the need somewhere. You say things like this, I'm not good with kids. I've heard this, you don't want me with the kids. We'll do a background check first. If that all checks out, yes, we do. I've heard, I don't even know anything about the sound system. I don't even know anything about electricity and sound and all that stuff. And I'm not going to embarrass her, but she's been serving here for 10 years, sitting in the back, because she got out of her boat. Now you, would you step out of the boat today? Would you, would you just get out of your boat and just say it to God that way? Because God knows your heart, and he knows what you mean. You say, God, I want to get out of my boat. I don't even know what that means. The preacher said to say it, and I feel like you want me to. I need to get out of my comfort zone to get the spark plug back in my life so that I can grow my faith on a daily basis and I can see God working. Band, you guys can come up. Today, it's not just our ministries here at the church that are at stake. So I don't have a ministry fair out there. I'm not having you sign up for things today because it's not about guilting you into serving around here because that will last till about March and then it all goes away again. 
This is about you understanding this is a way of life. That until you partner with God to work outside of your own little world and your own little space, get out of the boat and do something that only God could complete. (laughs) Engage in something that without God would completely fail. Here are some opportunities just around this place. Our babies. We have little babies around everywhere and more popping out all the time. You know these little babies, the first touch they get from somebody who loves Jesus could change the course of their life. So here's what I'm going to do. I prayed about this and I told God no a million times. Allison's the only one I've told about this and I could have told her I thought of a better idea, but I've decided I'm going to do this. Three Sundays from now, somebody else is going to preach and I'm going to be in the nursery. I've talked about this my whole life. I have told you to serve and do things that are out of your boat. And I can tell you right now that being up there during this service makes me more nervous than preaching to 10,000 people. But I want to do it. I want to get out of my boat, step into dirty diapers. (laughs) Now, please, if you have a child in the nursery, um, (laughs) just check their diaper, how it's put on after I'm done, because I don't know. But I'm going to try this, and I'm going to ask you to try something too. Anything. Our babies. Our kids' life ministry back here. Rich is doing things, and our, our children's ministry is doing things that have never been done in this church before. And we're doing things for children in this area that have never been done in this area before. And it is messy, and sometimes it is hard, but given the right attitude, and given people who can say, I'm not good enough to do that, that's Rich's first clue that, yes, this is the right person. Wait a minute, I'm not good with kids. All right. Risha would tell you she's the last person that would be a children's minister five years ago. She'd have laughed in your face. But she said, you know what? I, I, I got a little bit of time. And I got an idea. God, you're going to have to do the rest. Pretty soon we're running 40 kids on a Sunday morning. Feeding them. We have a junior high, high school ministry in this place that needs volunteers. We have a building that has to be kept up. We don't believe that there's anything special about this building except that God gave it to us to steward and manage. And we need help. I have a dream that one day there'll be sports ministry back here and there'll be little kids playing basketball in our gym. And that'll be the first introduction to Jesus to many of them and their parents. I have a dream that one day there'll be a place where, that led by guys who understand cars and small engines and chainsaws. And we can help each other take care of each other's needs when it comes to those things. I have a dream that there won't be anybody hungry in Paragon anymore because we feed them. We can currently feed a lot of people in this place and we need more help. And the only thing that keeps us from feeding more people is more backs and more people to carry the canned foods and more people to do stuff. And if we could just have more people to do that, we could find the money to find more food and feed more faces because that's who God's called us to be. I don't know what it's about for you specifically. But today I want to give you the chance to recognize that it's not about you. And as depressing, depressing that, as that can be for a person who's self-consumed, if you stop for a moment and you realize that if it's not about you, then it's about something bigger and that something bigger is in charge. That something bigger is God. And he built you with a spark plug that only he can ignite.